Welcome to the XY Advisor Podcast, a global community of financial advisors sharing and learning with one another to drive the positive evolution of financial advice. To get involved, go to xyadvisor.com or simply download the XY Advisor app. Hub24 is on a mission to empower advisors to deliver better financial futures for their clients. They're dedicated to customer service excellence and delivering innovative product solutions that create value for advisors and their clients. These are just some of the reasons why advisors rate them number one for overall satisfaction and why their managed portfolio solution has been rated best in market five years running. Hub24 believes nothing happens in isolation. So they're working together with advisors, licensees, and industry leaders to leverage their data and technology expertise to help solve key challenges in the delivery of financial advice so more Australians can access cost-effective advice. Welcome back to the XY Advisor podcast. I'm Fraser Jack, and today I'm joined by Ross Moraes. G'day, mate. Hey, Fraser. How are you doing? Very well. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you want to give the, the listeners a very quick overview of just you at the moment and your business? Yeah. So currently, I am 30 years old, live on the Gold Coast, and my business is More Time Financial, which is a financial advice, money management, and financial education business, mainly working with uh, Gen Y millennial with a bit of a focus on towards business owners. Fantastic. Very much people just like yourself, I guess. That's it. 100%. Fantastic. And you're just a, uh, you're, you're uh, just yourself. You don't have any other planners that work for you? Yep. Just myself, sole, sole planner and one full-time admin, admin staff. Very good. Let's jump back in time. Let's talk about you getting into this profession in the first place. Uh, interesting story. You sort of, uh, but you knew about the profession before you sort of dived in. Yeah, so uh, my old man, Alan, he had a, he was originally from South Africa, so he was a dodgy insurance salesman back in back in the day. Um, like, obviously, there's a big, big focus on the insurance side of things, and a lot of people started that way. Um, so, yeah, he, he was an insurance, insurance focus, and then moved over here uh, when we immigrated, and then he eventually had a Hillross practice. I'm going to take a stab in the dark for maybe about 15 or 20 years, he had uh, his own practice. Um, so I always kind of understood a, a bit about the industry and did a few summers working for him. Mainly the thing I do remember the most is I think AMP brought in a, a rule that there couldn't be any blank pages on fact finds. So it was always, always, always paper-based fact finds and there couldn't be any blank pages because if it was blank, it meant that you didn't cover it. So you had to cross off. If you didn't cover it, you had to cross it off. So I remember spending one summer, that was my entire job, was to go o- over all the fact finds that, had blank pages and I had to cross them off and then I had to scan them through. So I just remember that it was like 50 pages of, of VAC find and just crossing off all the blank pages that just didn't need to be covered off. Um, so yeah, always always understood a bit about the industry. Um, and the thing I really liked about it, I think the thing that drew me towards it was the, the sort of the relationship he had with a lot of his clients. Um, and that was something that I always, yeah, always kind of uh, liked about it and, I never really had much intention of, of getting into into the industry. It was always something like, all right, it's maybe maybe when I'm older, it seems like an, an old person industry where you talk about money and the boring stuff. So might might be something I'll be interested in later on in life, but yeah, not something I was too focused on back then. 
Yeah, so it's an interesting start, isn't it? Uh, seeing your, uh, I guess, seeing your the relationship that your your dad had with um, clients. You then, um, I guess, you, you did you do a, a business and marketing degree after that? So I, the, the story was I was um, very focused on rugby, so that was kind of going to be my career path. I was going to try and be a professional rugby player, um, which obviously I didn't didn't eventuate, but I was I was on path to to doing that and. At the time I left school, I was like, I didn't didn't really know what I wanted to do outside of playing rugby. That was my sole focus at the time. And my dad said, oh, look, if you're not really sure, why don't you start doing a Bachelor of Commerce degree? Um, and then if it's something, if the rugby thing doesn't work out, then you can obviously fall back on that. Um, so I started off doing the Bachelor of Commerce and then I, yes, yeah, so I majored in financial planning and marketing as well. So it was a really good um, grounding because in one class would go to one class and it was all talking about the marketing of how to get people to spend money and buy things and then would go to the financial planning class and it was all about how do people save money and invest and stop buying things so it was this it was a good actually it was a really good base to kind of see see it from both sides so that was yeah that's so I started doing that at Griffith Uni and I think when we graduated I think we we're one of the first classes to actually graduate with the financial planning degree from the Gold Coast Griffith Uni back. Yeah, 2013, 2012, 2013. Yeah, and tell, and tell me about uh, getting into the, um, the the Horizons program. Yeah, so I um, left left university and didn't have many job opportunities at that time because I'm like probably exactly what people are facing right now is trying to go through that professional year. So back then, trying to hire someone, trying to hire a 22 year old uh, with a financial planning degree with little to no experience. Uh, the job prospects were pretty minimal. The pay was maybe 40000 or something like that. And I was looking for jobs, looking for jobs. I was living in Brisbane at the time, looking, kept looking. I couldn't find anything and then uh, came across the Horizons program and they were offering a very good salary for someone my age at that time. And, yeah, it kind of seemed like the perfect opportunity because they were offering good pay, good structured program. And, yeah, so we I jumped on that, went through the – 101 interview process to to get through that, um, jump through all the hoops, and yeah, I was lucky enough to get on board with the Horizons program, and yeah, sent us to Sydney for three months of training, which was which was epic, and then nine months back in the in the Brisbane office, um, cold calling lots and lots of people. <laughs> tell us about tell us about that training because that's uh, for those people that haven't seen or been through that program. Tell us about what that training was. It was unreal. So obviously, at the moment, there's. AMP is getting an interesting rap, but their their training program was top notch. So it was three months in a classroom, uh, five days a week, nine to five, and we're just obviously learning all the in, ins and outs of of everything to do with financial planning. the The one big aspect was the the meetings. So obviously, it's it's pretty hard to train someone to have a client meeting because if it's not a real situation, it's it's not it's not really real. So what they did, which was unbelievable when you think back they got uh, actors real actors to come in and simulate a meeting and I remember like the one I had was one meeting the lady was crying and then the next one she was ready to storm out of the meeting because she wasn't happy with the recommendations or wasn't happy with how I was I was talking to her so it was like and I think back now we actually filmed so we filmed it they had actors in there they filmed it and then we watched it back and got assessed on how we handled ourselves and and what the how we overcome the objections and everything like that so for someone, I was 23 at the time and to go through that process of having as close to as possible real life meetings with these real actors was yeah un- unbelievable. So 
yeah, I couldn't, couldn't speak highly enough of, of that whole process and that training that we went through, um, looking back at, yeah, how that kind of set me up to, to where we are now. Yeah. And then when it comes to training, this is a really interesting topic. When it comes to training, the role play is the cringiest thing that you can think oh, of doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. like if we say it now and you go, oh, we're going to do this role play. Everyone goes, oh no, really? Like seriously, this is not, but going through that in a forced process, how, how, how much faster is the role play at, at driving, you know, I guess the knowledge and the dirt and the development. Uh, well, I think it's, through? Yeah, it, especially when it's role play with someone that you don't know. So, like most cases, like all right, you and me, Fraser, we're gonna we know each other. We're gonna do a role play, or it's like you do it with a with a uh, one of your staff members or something, someone in your team. So it's you just can't get that effect. Whereas these people came in, you never met them, um, you just got given their scenario, and then you were giving the advice. And obviously, the fact that they were actors, so they do it for a living, just made it so much more real, um, and yeah, so much more intense. And it was yeah, definitely sped up that that process because I guess the alternative was. You're otherwise just having real life meetings um and for the very first time so the first client you see is that's the first meeting you ever had whereas at least this process i think we did i think it's maybe six of like actual so there's like three different scenarios one was the fact finding meeting and then one was the advice delivery meeting i think so it was like six meetings um just obviously yeah, catapulted you um jumps ahead and then you had obviously had someone analyzing that and then marking you on that and giving you feedback on that uh, meeting as well so yeah, the the intensity and the support that we got through that only not not only that initial three months, but also the nine months after that initial training was yeah, it was un, unbelievable. And the fact that we were getting paid to do that as well was yeah, just obviously even even better because I'm sure most people don't get paid for that process. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting thing. It doesn't really happen these days. Uh, tell us about those the, the additional nine months. You mentioned uh, there was a lot of cold calling. Tell us about that part. Yeah, so after three months in Sydney, we we moved back to the Brisbane office, and it was kind of like a the closest thing I can think of is like a a graduate year, like which is probably what people are going through now. But it was yeah, like a meeting on Monday, uh, a staff meeting on Monday, staff meeting on Friday, and kind of tra- training maybe on a Wednesday as well. So it was kind of constant training for that nine months, and then we got given a list of of clients. And we had to, we got signed, they're actually real, real clients. And then um, we, that real policies, AMP clients, um, insurance, super investments. And we obviously had to reach out to them um, and see if we could offer any advice and see if they needed any help with those, with those policies and, and give advice um, throughout that nine months. But it was very much as I said, that structured approach. So obviously all our advice got vetted heavily. Um, we had, our, our team leader and our manager on top of that that saw the advice before it went out. So it wasn't like we were just giving advice willy-nilly to anyone. But yeah, it was it was probably, I, I think it got awarded um, one of the best training programs um, back then. It got awarded some uh, quite a high level of training program um, award. So yeah, I I couldn't kind of um, speak highly enough of it. I think it's scrapped, it's scrapped now or there's maybe a, d- a different process. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not, but- I'm not sure if it's still running. Uh, uh, well, we'll have to check with AMP, but I think, um, I think it sort of, it lasted for quite a few years and then, um, and then, yeah, the, the times changed and things moved on. But I'm just thinking that the, you know, that, that calling regime of cold calling, I, th- I remember my first day from a job, I had to telephone that was about it. And you had to ring, you had to ring people. Uh, how, how did that go? How, how do you think that's changed you in, in, in the long run? Oh, again, it's that experience of, of going through that and being trained through that process as well. So we would have initially, I guess that first three months again, we would go through that process of of not real clients, get feedback on it, would listen back to our calls, I'd analyze it, 
um, what we did well, what we didn't do well. And then in, in the real world, going through that process as well of, of calling people and just that, yeah, that experience of actually picking up the phone and telling someone that they have a superannuation fund that they didn't actually know they had a super fund with and explain to them the first time. And yeah, it's just that, that training that was, yeah, it was pretty hard to, to replicate. Not in that, not in that environment, I guess. Yeah. But you've come out of that, uh, uh, that training sort of 12 month of training for the intensive training, uh, to starting your own business. Yeah. So, um, I guess the, the back, a little bit backstory on that is they had, you have the option at the end of that program of you can either, um, take and purchase an AMP book, um, which I won't go into because it's interesting at the moment, but, um, purchase the book or go and get work for an AMP practice. Um, otherwise obviously you could just leave and just go and work for yourself. So at that time, um, a bit of a, I guess, yeah, take one step back, uh, Alan, my father, he had the Hillross practice. He had sold that a couple of years earlier and semi-retired, went traveling. And then at the time that I was finishing the 12 months of Horizons, he was kind of getting a little bit bored of retirement and said, look, why don't we look at starting up a business together, um, which was obviously a pretty incredible opportunity for me to have someone with 20 plus years experience to wanting to start a business. So yeah, we ended up starting More Time Financial, which is the current business in 2015 so july august 2015 so we've just clicked over six years or six years three months or so um at the moment so yeah that was the the path i decided to take so left amp and yeah decided to start start more time financial back in back in 2015 yeah and a fairly uh, fairly great move by your dad i think on that particular point just uh <laughs> knowing the potential seeing the potential in his son and going right let's start a business i'll be i'll be here to back you but even from the very beginning he, he wanted to take a back seat right he, he wasn't uh he didn't want to be the front person yeah exactly so it was always it was always my my business first and and he was there to, to help which was again pretty pretty incredible um opportunity f- for me to be able to do that i guess not too many 24 year olds get get to be in that position so um, yeah, that was the idea from the start that it was going to be my business um, and that he was going to be there to, to help and support me um, throughout, the, throughout the journey. So, um, yeah, that's what, that's what we did. Now, but this is a bit of a weird thing for you, I guess, at the time because your demographic and his demographic were very different. How did, yeah, you, how did you go through those conversations <laughs> and work out who you're going to help? Yeah, so I had this, had this thing at A&P. Um, we were, the book of clients that we got given, like – 99% of the industry at the moment is retirees, people with money, you follow the money, you work with people that have money that can pay you fees. And I, well, I was going through that experience and obviously we can help people in that age group and we can do a great job and add a lot of value. But I kept getting frustrated because I was 24 at the time. I just finished uni. I was getting, it was my first job, first real career job um, with AMP, and all my friends were going through the same process. So they were coming to me saying, oh, you're, you work in, in financial planning or you work in finance. Um, what's this hex thing? What do I do with this first like thing? I can salary sacrifice. I can salary package. Like, should I take this job? Like, what does this pay mean? All these things that people going through that first job and moving moving out of home for the first time, kind of getting the started in their career, and they were coming to me asking all these questions, and I would go to my boss and said, "Oh, can I bring them on as a client and help them with cash flow? Help them with all these things?" Like, no, because they you can't make any money from them because they can't afford your advice. They've got no money in super, so what's the point? So I kept getting hitting up against this brick wall of, well, no, you can't help them. You can't help them. You can't help them. So that was my kind of uh, vision from starting More Time Financial was from day one, I wanted to help people help my generation. So I'm 30 years old, so Gen Y, millennials. Um, 
and that was kind of the the goal from the start and as i quickly realized and that was probably the 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 sticking point between me and me and dad arguing about what clients to take on because there's all these retirees that you can help from day one and and get money in the door because you can help them straight away versus the clients i wanted to help that can't afford your advice and from a purely business perspective probably not the best clients to try and target from day one so um yeah it was just constant constant back and forth of uh, working bringing on some clients that are good for business um, while also helping them versus trying to focus on the clients that i wanted to work with that would be that i guess coming to fruition now that now they're turning 30 and getting a lot more money and and working with them still now so they're starting to become those really good clients today whereas six years ago they probably weren't the best best clients to bring on board (laughs) exactly right it's a bit of a dilemma for every business right but it's playing the long game i guess you could you could say it's playing the long game um it's also following your values and your own passions and beliefs um but uh, i guess um you probably did end up taking on a few of the uh the clients who already had money just to to help pay the bills in those initial years yeah so i was was kind of glad that we did work with uh bring on those older clients at the start as well because it gave me a good sense of what that looked like for that someone had done really well um, and set themselves up versus someone that had got to age 60 or 65 that hadn't planned properly and what that looked like as well. So then I could go back and kind of use that as a test case to talk to the people, even though 25 and 30 year olds don't want to talk about super and retirement, but it was good to say, okay, well, I now can see what, what people have done well and translate that and give them that advice to say, look, if you don't do this properly, if you don't set yourself up, this is what it could look like because I've just dealt with this person last week that didn't plan, didn't put extra money into super, didn't do anything that we would have told them at 25 and this was the outcome versus um, client A or client B that that did really well. So it was a good good learning point um, from my side to actually go through that process and and bring on the clients. While I obviously did want to focus on the younger clients and, and help them, it was also good to, to work with them as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point, isn't it? If you've seen how well it works, you can talk about it. And, and I guess all you really need to know is a little bit more about retirement than the person themselves uh, and you're all of a sudden that you're the, you're the person who knows more than them. Um, tell me about that when you're setting up that business though, from um, a cash flow point of view, from a, a younger um, client's point of view, how did you then go around and create your offerings that you have? And obviously they've probably evolved over the last six years, but how did you create your offerings that you took to the market, I guess, and and price it and then be able to make it a profitable business? Yeah, it's, it's probably been something that's changed too much in my in my liking i would have preferred to have something from from day one but obviously we all would have so yeah it's definitely changed and evolved massively over over that time um but yeah initially we were doing um i guess it was similar to like a subscription model where we're we're charging that that monthly a monthly fee um where possible we're obviously giving some advice around superannuation and insurance and things like that when people needed it but yeah we're trying to trying to charge I guess like a like a gym membership or something like that, where we're charging maybe six hundred and sixty dollars up front for the cash flow structure, and then we're trying to charge a monthly fee um, ongoing on there as well. When you say tried, was there <laughs> issues with it or? Yeah, it was, it was a massive challenge, probably from my side more than than the client side. But just trying to, I've always, it's I guess it's still a challenge now. But it's you're trying to one people don't know the problem that they have because they're not educated. And then you need to prove to them that you can solve the problem. And then you need to tell them that they're going to pay you for a problem that they didn't know they had, which they didn't know how to solve until they come to you. So it's this constant battle. And even yeah, back then, um, trying to explain to people, say, okay, well, this is what how we're going to help you. This is the fees. 
and, and work through there. So I found that that monthly monthly fee exactly for younger clients worked out, worked well. And obviously as time went on and on, we could take less and less money from, from superannuation, which is obviously a good thing um, now. But that used to be the model of obviously you just take all the fees from super and then you give them super advice, but also give all the other stuff as well, which has obviously evolved um, more and more now. But yeah, so we had a, that was the fee model. And I guess one of the things that if you ask me what I wish I knew earlier, what I'd do differently would be probably triple my fees from from day one, um, <laughs> charge a lot higher fee and make it a lot more business focused rather than it was strictly kind of, I guess we we're doing things a lot more client focused back then was how do we do the best thing for the client, but at the detriment of potentially the cash flow in the business. So that was the, the lesson I learned um, very early on that you need to wear both hats, that you need to wear the business hat and you need to wear the client the client had as well. Yep. And it's a, it's a, it's a great lesson to learn, but probably also something that you take, because obviously you, now, nowadays you do a lot of work with your clients on business advice. Um, so it's probably a good yep. learning that you take, take forward into, um, you know, when you're giving your clients, you know, information or tips or, or accountability or whatever you want to do with their business cash flow. Yeah, definitely. hundred percent. Fantastic. And tell us about the evolution of those plans. Where to from, from, from that initial sort of kickoff, how, how have they evolved since? Yeah, I guess the the fees of the fees have gone up as the the experience and confidence has gone up that you're actually giving the advice that's that warrants warrants that fee. So I think that yeah, that was probably the the learning curve of you're worried that oh, okay, well, how do you charge someone? And I guess that was the the mentality of how do you get someone to pay for your advice when you're trying to help them with their cash flow and, and money management. So that's something that I assume or I assume yeah, most people do struggle with is that concept of how do you help someone that needs help with their money, but they need to pay you money for it. So um, yeah, that confidence and seeing the outcomes over the last six years or last five years of, of working with those people on an ongoing basis, seeing the outcomes we've been able to create for them gives you the confidence to say, actually, no, I'm, I am worth the fees that I'm charging because I, I know now I have the experience and um, have the, the foresight that I know I can add a significant value. So I'm a lot more comfortable charging those fees. But in terms of in terms of packages, in terms of how we how we structure things, yeah, it's, we're still still charging that that upfront fee um, for clients through that initial work, and then charging a monthly fee ongoing um, after that as well. So it's yeah, obviously just evolved evolved more and more. But the the premise is still the same. Still a heavy f- focus on cash flow. Still a heavy focus on the younger younger demographic people people my age. So that's been the the core theme all the way all the way through. Um, yep. And it's been yeah pretty cool to kind of work with those clients over a long period of time. Excellent. And tell us about the three packages that you have. You sort of got uh, they got great names and they've got uh, individual meanings depending on the client. The ones now is that what you're referring to? Yeah. 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 So it's just something we've just gone gone through and and re I guess rebranded those a little bit. But we've got the the real boss um, package, which is focused on people that are are the boss, so self employed business owners um, and Part of that is we take a heavy focus, obviously, like I'm sure all advisors do on their personal side of things. So we want to look at everything to do with their personal finances. But then most importantly is um, focusing on that gap, which I think is a, is a massive gap that I've identified between what business owners need in terms of advice and what their accountant gives them. Because I feel like, not to, to rip on accountants, but I feel like what they're giving um, is really good, but it's limited to just purely on the business side of things and maybe just on the tax and compliance 
Whereas this is a big gap between what business owners need to help with their that that crossover between their personal and the in the business world. So um, that's what the part of that real boss package is: is understanding both of their worlds um, in depth, and then working with their accountant to to obviously do what they need to do from the accounting side. But then, yeah, how do we manage cash flow? How do we actually plan in the business? How does what we're doing in the business have a direct impact on their on their personal life? And then we've got our dollar boss package, which is um, for those yeah younger younger professionals, non non self employed, non business owners. Um, so that might be yeah your higher higher income earning professionals. And then we've got our our master our cash flow, which is purely just our cash flow offering for people that kind of. It works across both those um, demographics, but yeah, just mainly focused just purely on cash flow, and we're not necessarily looking at any other parts of their advice um, at, in 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 part of that package. I've got a, I've got a couple of questions on the Real Boss program. Um, you mentioned the accountants. Did you find that the accountants do a lot of the sort of the factual historical work where you're up to, where you've been, all those things, and you find yourself working more on the the future goals of the business and and helping drive that um, business growth. Um, almost like a coach, but not. Or do you get coaches? And how, how does this all work? Yeah, I think I think that's probably the the key separation. And I, I'm finding that um, some of the the more forward thinking accountants are starting to come to that realization that they need to have those conversation of what does the next six twelve months look like, not just how did the, how was the last financial year. Um, and where I came to kind of realize this was because being the the demographic I'm working with, there's multiple goals happening. All at the same time and multiple conflicting goals. So there's, I want to pay less tax, but also want to buy a house next year. Um, I'm wanting to, my, my partner's taking maternity leave um, and wanting to get Centrelink benefits, but I'm also getting paid from the business as well to reduce tax. So I want to distribute money to, to him or her, but I'm also wanting to to qualify for Centrelink. So there's this constant, constant thing. And I realized, sat down with the client and they're like, oh, cool, we want to, want to buy a house this financial year. And then we got the financials back from the accountant and the accountant did such a good job that he hadn't paid any tax because they hadn't distributed any money to him. So then when we put him in front of a mortgage broker to, to qualify for a loan, the mortgage broker laughed us out the door because he said you didn't earn any money last year because your accountant said on paper you didn't earn any money. So then I realized, well, the accountant didn't ask the question of what's your plans next 12 months? Do you? And then that's where I realized that we kind of, kind of come in so then we can go to the accountant and say, hey, the goal is we want to buy a house in 12 months' time or in six months' time, so we need your financials to look like this. Yes, we might pay a bit more tax, but it means we're going to qualify for a loan. So it was, that I guess, that missing piece where we can sit in there, we know the client's goals intimately, personal and business, and then we can reach out to the accountant and say, okay, hey, this is what we need from the personal side. These are our personal goals and making sure that everyone's on the same page. So this is a really interesting part I, I uh, about getting in front of the accountant and not just getting in front of the accountant, but developing a relationship with the accountant where the accountant is not threatened, obviously, um, but also then wants to work with you and with future clients. Tell, tell us about how you um, you talk to your clients to get in front of your accountant. Yeah, I... Um I try and have a big emphasis for for those clients of now going forward, obviously depending on the client, but going forward, we are now coming to all your uh, meetings with the accountant. Um, and so we, we like to start it with we, when we do that fact-finding process of getting a full sense of their current financial position. So that's reaching out to the accountant saying, hey, we're doing some personal planning. Can you please give me the, 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 the corporate structure, the company structure, what's in place? Where's the trustees? Because we're going to be doing estate planning. We need to see the trustees. Do they have a shareholders agreement? So getting that full understanding of their business world and personal world 
And I had an accountant come back to me and he said, I've been working with financial planners for the past five years. And he said, not once has anyone asked me for a corporate structure of that client's position. And I said, well, maybe, maybe not, but maybe the, the financial planners you're working with are just doing super and insurance. They're not doing the, not looking at the whole picture. They're not looking at the cash flow, understanding what the distributions of, of the trust are, what understanding all those implications. So working with the accountant realized that, and the thing I took, went back to the accountant was if I can help them with their personal side, then that's going to make your job easier because you can then don't have to worry about getting angry at them for distributing money or taking owner's drawings more and more because we can have put in place a plan. We can obviously stay out of tax. We can save for tax. We can make sure they're paying their super, all the things that the accountant and the bookkeeper want them to do, but don't, they, they're not licensed to obviously give that, give those recommendations. So um, some accountants are, are on board with that. Others see it a little bit threatening that we're kind of stepping on their toes a little bit, but um, yeah, I think the, the good ones kind of see it as a, as a good partnership. So you've managed to develop some great relationships with accountants because of this? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah, as I said, it's just trying to explain to them that we're going to make your job easier because we're going to be helping them with these things that you keep chasing them up about and they don't listen to you because you haven't created the, the context of why you need to worry about saving for tax and, and all those things that you would think are, are pretty simple, but not always the case. And uh, any success stories with the, the accountants then referring other good clients to you? Uh, yeah, there has been some some really good um, referrals come come my way. Um, and again, purely just from the accountant seeing that for the first time, we were able to have enough money to pay the tax bill on time rather than have to go on a payment plan because the structure we put in place was, we actually got one, I think it was almost down to the dollar of what the tax bill was versus what we had set aside in the, in the tax and super account that we'd set up for them. Um, and he said, well, that was the first time that we haven't had to go on a payment plan with this client in the last like three years because we actually saved for tax. Um, so that was, yeah, that was a good one. And yeah, the referrals have, have been coming through as well from um, the accounts, some of the accounts that we've been working with because they can see the benefit of, of mainly, it's mainly around that cash flow piece of helping them understand the cash flow, the different sources of cash flow coming from um, as a salary versus dividends versus director's drawings versus trust distributions, what the tax implications of all of those are, how much tax we need to save. So it's major focus on, on the cash flow um, side of things. And that's what that's what the accountant sees as the definite value add. Is that, is that the way the client would describe you to their friends or their other business colleagues as somebody that helps them a lot with cash flow and plus does all the other stuff around the outside? I, th- I think so. I'd like to, like to hope so. I'd, yeah, I'd say that's it's probably just helping them to understand what they've got going on. So what's the, the way the terminology we use is, is what's spendable money and what's not spendable money. Um, and for a lot of those, a lot of those business owner clients, it's the first time they can actually see a separation between their business world and their personal world, because up until then it was just all mess all mixed together and just all one, one lump sum of, Oh, cool. I've made $200,000 in the business this year. That's all mine to spend. And it's like, no, no, no. You can only spend 50,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, that's, that's fantastic. And I really like, would, is that your preferred, um, your preferred place to be in, in, at work and business with those clients or? Yeah, definitely. So if I had to choose the, the, the one over the other, that would be my, my preferred target market is those, those business self-employed or business owners. Um, yep. Just because there's the complexity there, which I enjoy. Um, we can, there's obviously a lot more work than just the personal side. We can do so much on the business side as well. And I think it's, yeah, there's a massive, there's a massive gap between 
what clients are getting. Again, not to not to say accountants aren't doing a great job, but there's just a massive gap in what terms of account what accountants can give them versus what they need um, from that from that business side and that overlap between the personal and the business. Nice. Now the dollar boss is, as you mentioned, for your you know employed professionals um, uh, that don't don't have those self employed complexities. Is that sort of something that uh, you sort of just have there and and don't necessarily market, but that people these people come along? Yeah, so that's obviously there's a, obviously still a massive massive market for those for those clients, and yeah, we do still work with work with a lot of them, um, and yeah, happy to happy to continue working with those just because we can yeah add so much value, but yeah, just not not the as complex as as the business owners, so probably a bit more of your traditional traditional client of doing cash flow, doing debt management, super insurance, putting in place investment plan, um, putting in place an estate plan, and. Yeah, I guess why I like working with those is because it's yeah, it's they're my my target market as well. They're they're my generation as well. So it's going through all the challenges that I'm going through of those conflicting goals of saving for a house, having children, getting married, um, maybe starting a business, maybe taking time off work, having a career change, all those ten to twelve major life events that almost most of us experience from the ages twenty five to thirty five um, that all have severe financial implications. Um, if we get it right, it's good. If we get it wrong, it's pretty pretty dire as well. So, um, yeah, a lot of a lot of value, and it's something that I yeah, enjoy working with. Just mainly around that age, and more than anything. And the mastery mastering your cash flow, um, you just doing the cash flow. Tell us about that program, how you created it, put it together, priced it, and how you how you work with clients with it. Yeah, so that's that's the big one that's evolved um, over time, and yeah, it's a, it's an interesting interesting place to work in because I, I really enjoy that side of things. I really enjoy the cash flow and it's something that's modeled off um, Steve Crawford's um, cash flow cash flow program. So I, I did his, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but I did his cash flow program um, a couple of years spending ago. Spending coach? Spending, yeah, spending coach, my spending coach. Um, so it's yeah, heavily modeled off, off that back of that program. So that was really valuable going through that process. So it was always something that I was really interested in was the cash flow side because I could see that it added so much value and realized that majority of people weren't actually talking to their clients about that was, oh, cool, you spend 60 grand a year, great, we'll write that down and we're going to base our entire projections, all of advice based on the fact that you told me you spent 60 grand a year. Now, going through that process over the last couple of years, I know that for a fact that no one has any idea how much money they spend. Everyone's got a reasonable good idea, reasonable idea of how much they earn because it's what they earn. But we've got no idea of what we spend, so um, we use My Prosperity for the for that program, and it's probably something out of the three programs that we offer. It's something that's kind of falling away less and less, just because it is so time consuming, um, and the what you need to charge for that needs to obviously justify the work that we do. So um, yeah, it's something that I'm. Uh, it's there, and still have a handful of clients that we do just that for, um, but probably. Yeah, out of the three, it's probably the one that we do. Unfortunately, do the less less amount of work in it, just purely because it's the scalability of it that it takes a lot of time to do it do it well. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? it kind of, it, it's the, it. You're absolutely right. It is hard to price it properly and to be able to make it profitable and also be so and, and keep it desirable for the client. Um, but sort of as you alluded to earlier, sometimes these are the clients that are going to be your future real boss clients. Correct, correct, and even with the the real boss or dollar boss clients, we might say, okay, for the first three months, 
we'll obviously do the things we need to do that are urgent and fix those. But for the first three months, we're going to have a strong focus on the cash flow side of things um, to get that right. Because it's the, the biggest pain point I find for, for clients is understanding their cash flow, managing their cash flow, how do you set up the bank accounts? Um, and obviously debt comes into the, um, to the into there as well. So um, yeah, it's something I'm toying with at the moment of do I continue to offer that as a standalone offering? Um, or is it something that you could maybe look at, yeah, having uh, maybe a group coaching or having a course or something around that uh, offering? So um, trying to maybe, yeah, use technology in there that it's not so client focused, not so, sorry, client intensive, time intensive that people can do a bit more DIY around that. So that's something I'm, I'm toying with at the moment. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I think there's probably an opportunity there for some sort of group coaching. How, how much time does it take you to, or with each of those clients to, to sort of get them on track and in, into a new spending habit? I'd say it's at least, I'd say minimum, minimum three months. Um, some clients like the longest it's probably taken us for a client is a full 12 months to get them to fully understand and change their habits. Um, so yeah, with a minimum we work with clients in there is three months. So anything less is just, is, I think pointless because um, it's hard to change those habits um, in, in anything less than three months. So minimum three months, ideally we go for a full 12 months, but yeah, minimum 12 months. Um, sorry, minimum, minimum three months. And Excellent. that's yeah. yeah running, running through my prosperity, um, reconciling the bank accounts for them, giving them a cash flow report um, each month with maybe a loom video to say, Hey, here's what we did. Well, here's where we're falling behind. We need to watch out for this. Um, having our quarterly check-in meetings to make sure we stay on track. So, and when you, when you talk about, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because 12 months would be a great uh, group coaching plan. Um, but how much time do you reckon would need to be um, uh, with like one-on-one -on -one actually with the client over that three-month period? Is it like an hour a month or what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so we we break it up. If it's a three-month period, we break it up into six six sessions. So it might be in month one, it's it's two um, probably 90-minute 90 90 minute meetings um, and then we'll split those remaining four four sessions over the next kind of two months. Um, so it's I guess yeah every probably every two weeks we we're catching up and having an hour hour to ninety minute meeting um, kind of face to face meeting. If for those clients that need that much intensity, that's probably what we allocate. And then there's yeah the cash flow, the reconciling and stuff in the back end that myself or or admin are helping with that um, to reconcile that and, and spit out a report. Um, to give the client a sense of what's happening. So, um, yeah, we find that it's an intense three months to kind of get them on get them on track. Um, and then after that, it's it just maybe goes to maybe a monthly check-in or a monthly um, a video call or Loom video or something to stay stay on track and I'll kind of keep that accountability going. Yeah, I think the accountability is the uh, is the key there. Being the accountability buddy and and a lot of teaching and 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 you know this is the way you should be doing it up front. But then a lot of just accountability after that. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. And tell us about the uh, the future plans, any future plans for the business? Yeah. So that's, uh, I guess that's probably the, the area that I'm, I'm interested in is around how do we leverage um, technology and, and courses and things is probably something I'm, I'm aiming towards because at the moment, I'm pretty, I'm sure most advisors are, I'm getting to that point at right now in terms of the capacity and how many clients we can take on at one time. Um, so I kind of see there if it's just going to be me as, as the sole advisor, which that's my plan, at least for the next couple of years is just to be me and, and keep it nice and um, small and profitable. So there's a, I know there's a limit um, to, to how many clients we can take on and service well. And I'm not trying to be the biggest 
take on hundreds of clients. It's probably I see that as maybe between fifty to seventy-five um, households has probably been at that at that limit if we want to work with the clients we want to work with. And then so the way I kind of rationalize it is there's the hundred percent of of the people that we can work with take the take the twenty percent that we we focused on. So whether those are the the dollar boss or or the uh, the real boss clients take that 20% and work with them and they be our full-time ongoing uh, full service financial service clients, financial advice clients. And then we've got this 80% of the rest of the market that I see that needs that cash flow advice, that needs all this other stuff that we can definitely help with. But it's once we're at that capacity, then they can't necessarily, we can't help them in that financial advice capacity. So that's where I see potential of of courses, cash flow courses and something around that element. So obviously similar to what um, Victoria's done or what um, Glenn's done with their their courses that I think is is really helpful that you can point those clients towards and say look I can't work with you as a financial advisor because I'm either I'm full or my fees are x and we just don't think you can justify that right now however we have this this offering where it's a DIY course or there's a, a, a coaching element to it that we can service and help that 80% of the market that that I know needs advice and I'm passionate to give advice to but I just can't do do that for everyone. And that's probably a lesson I've learned taking probably a bit longer to learn than it should have was that even though I know I can help everyone and I want to help everyone, I just can't from a, from a business perspective. Um, and that was, that's a tough, pretty tough pill to swallow when, when you know you can help them, you can add so much value to them, but you just can't do it for every single person that knocks on your door, which again, it's a good, it's a, it's a good, it's a good problem to have that you've got more people knocking on your door than, than less, but it's yeah, it's a hard one to, to swallow. It is a hard one to swallow when we're all uh, we're all sort of got that um, desire to help people. Now you mentioned Victoria and Glenn. Of course, you've you've had a podcast for about or oh, nearly four years now. Started off as the uh, the Young Money podcast, but and then sort of changed or you you morphed the name to the More Than Money podcast. Tell us about uh, tell us about that. Yeah, so that's something I I really enjoy, and even though I've been doing it for four years, it hasn't been cons- hasn't been a consistent four years. So I'll be first to to put my hand up and say that could could have done a better job in in that. Um, but yeah, it's something that I uh, started a while ago. I was doing some work with Baz um, Gardner and the social advisor, um, and yeah, that would kind of push me across push me across the line to to jump in and, and start doing a lot more around around that and a lot more around socials. So. Um, that was something yeah, I really, really enjoy doing that. So I've got a focus of kind of one episode is more of the financial education side. So talking about, I don't know, debt, debt reduction or cash flow or super or investments. And then uh, the other part is interviewing um, people. My, I either do it selfishly that it's something I want, some, someone I want to know more about. I'll reach out to them and interview them. But it's always someone that's doing something a little bit differently. So a, a strange job or I had like a couple of um, social media influencers on there that, or travel influencers, travel bloggers that are doing something kind of out, out, outside of the norm um, that are living life a little bit differently. And the reason I do that is because what we get to see as advisors is we get to see a broad spectrum of, of people doing well, people not doing well, people in lots of jobs, people in lots of industries, whereas I find that um, if you only are friends with lawyers, you only work as a lawyer and that's all you do nine to five, seven days a week, you only know lawyers, then it's hard to see what other people are doing. I also think that um, it's a good idea working with influence, influencers because they will be able to um, you, you'll be able to help them, and then they'll be able to help many many other people. Not necessarily with the influencer thing, but yeah, be correct. able to uh, know, know what uh, know what you're talking about and understand some of the concepts, especially with cash flow. 
Oh, hundred percent. It's yeah. It's, I think that's a massive, a massive area. Um, and as more and more people become working in that space of they're running, they're running a business. That's that's what they're doing. Even though people see it as or they're just social media influencers or they're just that or just they're, like, they're running a business. And a lot of them are running very, very profitable businesses. Um, so yeah, it's a very interesting space. And yeah, I guess that's that's the focus of showing people what else is out there um, because we're just trying to share. They say, look. This people, this this person, they had their job, they quit their job, they it sucked for twelve months, but then look at what they've been able to do, and this is what they did, and it was a passionate project project at the beginning, it was a hobby, but they've turned it into a business. So, um, or like I had a, a couple on there that they've been traveling the world, um, pet sitting um, for the past five years, they haven't paid rent for five years, um, and they've just been pet sitting all around the world. Obviously, in the last eighteen months, been less and less, but um, so it's like getting people on like that that just. How do you, it's all money focused. And I guess that's why I changed it to more than money that it's has the money element, of course, but there's a lot more to it. And we know that there's the, the big intersection between life and, and money, big overlap. Um, so yeah, it's something I, I really enjoy and it's, it's probably going to be a lot more focus around that going forward is how to do that more consistently and yeah, get more people on because it's, yeah, I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, fantastic. And uh, and and I, I guess your existing clients would also enjoy it, or you probably picked up a few new clients from it. Yes, yeah, so a couple of new clients. So my st- when I started it, my goal was I don't expect or I don't necessarily want to get any clients from this. It's not it's not trying to be a push of saying come work with me. Um, it was more so just to educate people and and trying to spread the word. And then I've realised kind of in the last six months or so that the work I was doing, even though it hasn't been super consistent it's been enough to kind of just spread that awareness of someone's like oh i thought yeah you do something with money and then oh, i saw you on the podcast or saw you had this or listen to that podcast with xyz person um so it's just creating that brand awareness because we know as advisors that no one actually knows what we do um unless they're a client so it's just trying to give them a little bit of an insight and to say hey there are people like me that can help you with these things um and talk to you about these things so yeah it's been it has been a good um, avenue, but that definitely wasn't the, the focus from from day one. was wasn't a, a marketing thing to to grow the business from day one. It's, it's slowly coming that, I guess. Fantastic. Now, tell us about the logistics of your business. Are you um, working from home? Have you got office? And you are you location independent? Are you all online meetings? So we we probably take took a different approach to most, where we started with an office, a physical office that of our own, um, our own office, uh, two two one office, one boardroom. A reception area, everything that I guess if you looked at it right now would sound stupid, but at the time we didn't have a capacity to work from home. Um, so we started with an office and I always had the goal of trying to be um, location independent. Um, I've got a big passion for travel. So that was always my thing of how can we set this business up to allow me to travel um, and continue to run the business. So we started with an office. We had an office for two years. Then we moved to a co-working space um, so then had a co-working space, shared boardroom, all that kind of thing, um, which worked really well. And then the the plan was to say, how can we get this to be 100% location independent because I wanted to be able to travel and continue to run the business. So that was the goal. And I did a, a, a trial in, was it 2020, January 2020, me and my partner, she just quit her job and she was working online as well. So we did a trial in Bali for, for one month of working um, working over there. And the goal was that we were going to travel for, for one month, uh, work remotely, come back for two months, work normal, 
work, travel again. And that was our game plan for 2020. So we had geared everything up. She'd quit her job. She was working um, with, that was the plan. And then obviously January rolled around and then COVID hit. So that put a big stop to the, the travel plans, but it was good in a sense because that was the plan of us to do that. So uh, it forced us to, that was the trial run in Bali, but then we came back, I moved out of the share space and spent the next 12 months working just purely at home to test the theory, kind of we had to sort of, I'm not so much on the Gold Coast here, but um, that tested the theory of 12 months of being able to work from home, set the business up to be able to be 100% remote. And then in, I think in April this year, I went back to to having a co-working space. So now I'm a hybrid hybrid between co-working space three, three days a week to see clients um, and then uh, at home two days a week. But I'd say 80% of the meetings at the moment are, are online meetings. Yeah, nice. And now I think that the, the co-working space can work quite well if you're, um, if you're ducking in and out, but you can change that from time to time too. You can still travel for a month and then come back and work in a co-working space and jump in and out of them. Yeah, correct. And that's why I think it was the the good part of COVID, if there are some good things. It, it forced us to, to, to go online, um, which we had tended to, and with those clients as well that previously – if I told them I want to have an online meeting with them, they said, no way, I need to see you in person versus when it was COVID, it was like, we have to have an online meeting. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, I did one with my accountant last week. I did one with my grandson in Sydney two weeks ago. So yeah, I'm more than happy to jump on Zoom. That's great. And then the the benefit of that was, oh, how good was that? I didn't have to drive, didn't have to find parking. It was so much easier, so much more beneficial. Can we do an online meeting next time? So um, that was, yeah, that was a good a good outcome from from COVID. Do you, do you find that um, clients have ever now, like, I, I guess we used to hold on to this thing where you had this, not this office, and then people would rely on the office being always being there. But now, obviously, with if you're in co-working space or you're chopping and changing, do you feel like now that, well, maybe with your demographic of clients, they don't really care? Yeah, I, I don't think they care. I, there's still this little bit of that initial initial meeting, whether it's you meet them in person or if you haven't met anyone and I have quite a few clients I've never actually met in person, but I still think there's that little bit of a funny thing of a little bit of a barrier of talking to about someone about money and being never meeting them face to face. So whether that's for a coffee or, or for an actual meeting in an office, I still think there's that little element of it. It's definitely reduced significantly, but yeah, I, I think that most people, especially in the last 18 months have just come to the fact that working from home and not having a physical office is, is acceptable. Whereas previously it wasn't, it was, you're a financial planner that works from home. I don't trust you even more than I don't trust you as a financial advisor. So uh, it always comes back to that level of trust, doesn't it? And I think <laughs> probably, I think to be fair, you're, you're building a lot of trust with all of the online content you've produced and the, and your length of time you've been there and all those sorts of things. So, Hey Ross, thanks for catching up. Uh, we'd probably leave it there. If somebody wants to continue the conversation with you though, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Um, yeah. If they want to find me on Instagram, um, shoot me a message there. I probably not on X, Y, as much as I should be, um, just purely from from busyness. But I, yeah, I do like to, to jump on there just because there's so much um, good value um, and content on the X, Y platform. So, yeah, be sure to message me on there. Otherwise, yeah, find me on Instagram and um, chat to me through there. But more than happy to, to jump on a call if anyone wants to, to chat further. Fantastic. Really appreciate coming on, Ross, and, uh, and sharing your journey. Awesome. Thanks, Fraser. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.